0: Welcome to Fifth Wall's Building to Zero podcast. The real estate industry is the world's single largest contributor to climate change. At Fifth Wall, we're on a mission to help the industry eradicate its carbon emissions and build to zero. I'm your host, Brendan Wallace. In 1989, Bill McKibben, author, educator, and environmentalist, and now co-founder of 350.org, wrote the first book about climate change. He joins me on today's episode to share how the climate change conversation with corporates has changed over the last 30 years and how consumers can keep the heat on the real estate industry to decarbonize its buildings. Enjoy the conversation. So Bill, thank you so much for joining. Um, I want to welcome everyone, obviously, to Building to Zero, where we're going to meet with leaders in sustainability from around the world um, to talk with them, just like we are with Bill today, about how to decarbonize the world around us. So Bill, can you just tell us where are you coming in from today and who's the friend behind you?
1: Yeah, I'm sitting in the front seat of my electric vehicle. Uh, I live in Rural Vermont, where like in most of rural America, there's no good internet. So when people are doing school by Zoom or this kind of thing, we often end up driving to the parking lot, which is not so bad because most of the leaves are down, but it's still extremely beautiful outside. Um, I don't know how much you can see, but Berkey the dog and I are enjoying ourselves immensely, just being able to look around at the Green Mountains.
0: Nice. It looks beautiful. Um, I guess soon there'll be snow, but uh, really excited to chat with you today. And maybe just to start, can you just start by telling you know who your background and really what your focus is at 350.org?
1: Sure, Brendan. I'm a uh, writer by trade. And in 1989, which was a long time ago, 31 years ago, I guess. I wrote the first book about climate change, a book called The End of Nature, which was a big bestseller and came out all over the world and things. And for a while I thought that was kind of my job was to write books about this stuff and talk about it. Because I I thought we were engaged in an argument about climate change and that if we piled up enough evidence, our leaders would begin to take action. And it took me probably a decade of doing that before I began to realize that what I had thought of as an argument was long since over, the science was very clear. But in fact, we were engaged in a fight and the fight wasn't about data and reason, the fight was about what fights are always about, money and power. And since the fossil fuel industry had so much, uh, we were gonna have to try and match it by organizing. Uh, We weren't gonna have money, but maybe we could have bodies and passion and spirit and creativity, the kind of currencies of movements. So that's when we started 350.org, which was the first iteration of a global climate change movement. Thank God in the succeeding decade or so, many others have come in to help extinction rebellion, the sunrise movement with the green new deal Fridays for the future and all the climate strikers all over the world uh, on and on and on.
0: And, and just from that seat, like, how has the conversation changed? You kind of presented this more adversarial, or it sounds like kind of almost an argument, right? At the outset, like how has the conversation changed? And in particular, I'm curious how it's changed from corporations.
1: Well, so first thing is uh, the conversations changed a lot because climate change is now abundantly clear what's going on and just how dangerous it is. And all the things we'd warned about 30 years ago are now coming true. Second thing is we've spent 30 years with the fossil fuel industry mounting a massive disinformation campaign that kept us really from doing anything. We still haven't had serious federal legislation about climate change. So the third thing is that having built this huge movement, we're now chipping away at pretty successfully the power of the fossil fuel industry. And their political power is lessening and, and the fight is on a more even ground. And the fourth thing that's changed, Brendan, is that in the last decade, while we've been building these movements, the engineers have been building ever better and ever cheaper solar power and wind power. The price has dropped by 90 percent. That's a big enough drop to change the spreadsheet and hence to change the economic calculations. So, you know, Exxon, which... 10 years ago was the biggest most powerful corporation on earth is now not even the biggest energy corporation last week next era energy the biggest uh, solar and wind company in the world passed Exxon for market cap so uh, there are big changes afoot and
0: and one of the things you've talked a lot about and and what i've seen is this kind of collective action problem right that there are these kind of obviously large incumbents that have point of views that either resist or want to advance efforts to decarbonize the economy, um, but how do you think of climate change as kind of a collective action problem? And, and in particular, I'm curious again, the role that companies play in that, in mitigating that as a collective action problem.
1: Well, so, I mean, the problem with companies writ large in the climate fight is, most of them have basically stayed away from it. Uh, you know, they've ceded this, this area to the fossil fuel industry, in whose whose interest it's been to pretend that it didn't exist, because they didn't want to change their business model. So for the most part, you know, I mean, companies have begun to do things like put renewable energy up to, you know, service their cloud farms or run their delivery vehicles on electricity or whatever it is. But they haven't allocated significant parts of their lobbying muscle in Washington to get anything done here. They've just... Left that for the Exxon's and the Chevron's of the world.
0: And you know, in particular, I guess, what what have you seen, if anything, in terms of the real estate industry and how it is just conceptualizing its role, its responsibility in the climate crisis? And the reason I ask the question is, you know, today Fifth Wall kind of sits at the intersection of real estate and technology, and we work with a number of very large real estate corporates. And when we started this firm, I guess, 2016. I was not hearing real estate owners talk meaningfully about technologies, solutions to decarbonize their business. It didn't even feel like they had embraced a responsibility around it. And in the last four years, that change has been dramatic. And I'm curious, how have you seen that from your perspective?
1: So I've seen some signs of what you're talking about. And I've also seen uh, some real reluctance and recalcitrance. So, for instance, New York City passed the first serious law in the country mandating that big, uh, big building owners retrofit their buildings for energy efficiency. And they had to do it over the deep protestations of landlords who are continuing to try and fight it, even though it's clear that this will save them money in the long run uh, beyond being the good and right thing to do. And, and by the way, save tenants money, right? Yeah, save everybody. Well, I mean, look, the, 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 the dirty little secret of everything we're going to do about climate change is uh, energy efficiency, energy conservation, and renewable energy are cheap. Uh, you know, the return on investment on this stuff is better than you're getting out of any other investment you're going to make. It's, you know? it, it
0: creates a net like consumer surplus for the economy, right? Like, this is the yeah, net Exactly cost. right.
1: But there's two problems. One is inertia, which, you know, you're dealing with. If you own a big building, you've got other things on your mind, maybe. And two, there's a ton of vested interest out there. You know, they're just people who have a business model that depends on doing things the way that that they keep doing. Hell, there was a story in the paper here in Vermont the other day about the number of businesses that are still heating with coal. So, I mean, what does that tell you? Um, 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 but there is change coming. I think the place that's most interesting right now, for my money, or one of the most interesting places, is in the new construction side where the question is, in an increasing number of localities across the country, should we build new buildings with hookups to the gas system or not? Or should we go straight to electric for everything? Well, the answer for anyone who cares anything about climate change is, electrify everything you know uh, uh, especially if you're doing new construction where there's not a capital cost associated with it even if you're not even I mean we really should be retrofitting buildings right now to take advantage of Technologies like air source heat pumps and induction cooktops, because they save huge amounts of carbon and they're you know much cleaner and and everything else. But the the at the moment the rubber is meeting the road around these questions of new construction, and there are an increasing number of jurisdictions in California, in Massachusetts, and elsewhere that are mandating this. But it always comes at a fight, and the ut- local utilities are now pouring. And, and national utilities and the uh, natural gas industry are pouring millions, hundreds of millions of dollars into vast PR campaigns to try to convince people, for instance, that they really want an open flame in the middle of their kitchen uh, right. for the rest of all time. Right. And and there's this other issue, right, of just kind of
0: functional obsolescence to buildings. When you build a building, it could be here for a hundred years, and so the decisions we take we take today around how we build these buildings and the embodied carbon in them. I mean, we're living with for for generations. And I guess one of the things I wanted to ask about is, you know, we we talk to a lot of real estate owners and some of the things that we ask them is we're like, what are you doing in and around sustainability? And, you know, a lot of companies have made these public pledges to carbon neutrality. Um, But when you peel back the onion, a lot of it seems to be, premised on significant purchases of carbon offsets.
1: Yeah, it's always easier for everyone to go, you know, plant a tree in Bolivia somehow than right. it is to actually change their business model. So, I mean, the, the, the first thing is, and this is really the bottom line for a lot of activists, I think correctly, no one should ever build new fossil fuel infrastructure of any kind. That means no keystone pipeline, but it also means no gas hookup to your new subdivision. right uh, you run an electric wire in, stick in an air source heat pump, which is great technology. Uh, stick in an induction cooktop, and that's that. you know you're set for the twenty first century
0: and you know one of the things that that also is said is that Well, you know, it's very challenging to actually reduce the carbon footprint of our building to zero because the technology today in 2020 is not such that I mean the cost effectiveness of it, the efficiency of it is not such that um, we can actually economically adopt it. And there probably is in some cases some merit to that. And one of the questions I always ask is, well, who's funding the technology? Um, And there's a separate question I have almost about like how built world decarbonization technology is being funded, but do you find that to be true? Do you believe that to be the case yeah, the technology I think, doesn't exist? Today? I think
1: that's I think that's nonsense at this point. I think it was true ten years ago. But I've you know I live in a cold climate. I live at 1500 feet not that far from the Canadian border. Uh, air source heat pumps work great and they're not expensive. I mean I, I did a story for the New Yorker and this was five years ago. About Green Mountain Power, our local utility, which is, I mean, you can count the number of enlightened utilities on the fingers of one finger, and <laughs> Green Mountain power is Green Mountain Power is that finger, you know. Uh, they were installing, they were, you know, getting people out of their homes for the weekend, sticking in lots of insulation, air source heat pumps, uh, air, air, you know, uh, uh, ground source uh, uh, heat pumps for uh, hot water. Um, induction cooktops and they were financing it all on the electric bill and people's total energy costs were going down from month one you know Um, because you know the, the I mean among other things the older the building the more of the outdoors you're heating every day or cooling depending what part of the country you're in you know i mean the, uh, the the amount of energy waste in buildings large and small is astonishing they just redid the empire state building and they cut energy costs 40% without changing energy use 40% without changing anything for anyone you know the temperature didn't change uh, uh, i mean 40 And by the of, way and that remember, that proof
0: that proof point of the empire state building i think is so powerful i was actually recently talking to tony malkin the the owner of it and that That precedent was so important in New York saying we have the confidence to instantiate these new rules that require real estate owners to actually operate at carbon neutrality by very specific dates so the the very laws that you were talking about that real estate owners have resisted historically
1: yeah well and and there's no reason to resist them because the expertise for i mean you know uh, a lot of this expertise has been developing for years. I can remember when, you know, uh, Alec Wilson was doing Building Green Newsletter, you know, 20 years ago, and we were sort of on the early part of this learning curve and so on and so forth. But it's not, I mean, this is not, there's nothing revolutionary about any of this now. You go to Europe, it's the obvious standard for how people do stuff. Um. um so it's not hard. Uh, and, and there's a growing body of people who know how to do it. And the good news is that it's precisely the kind of thing that puts lots of people to work for a while too. You know, uh, I mean, that's part of the, uh, that's part of the financing that you, you know, the, uh, of, of the, of what you're paying for with the financing. And God knows we need people put to work right now.
0: And one of the other things that, that's striking as, you know, fifth wall in particular has been looking at the real estate industry and its commitment to sustainability is, you see other industries, you see other companies that have made these very public commitments to carbon neutrality, take like Amazon or or Microsoft. And right alongside those commitments, right, which are very meaningful and very complicated and very important to implement, they made significant investments into climate tech, meaning there was was paired with that, uh, Amazon in particular made this $2 billion climate pledge fund That's investing into the very tech to help it decarbonize. Microsoft did a billion-dollar fund,
1: and yeah, don't get. I'll just say in passing, don't get so. I mean, I mean, yes, there's good things that are going on. These are also companies that continue to say, in Amazon's case, rent out their cloud services to oil and gas. Companies in order to help them increase their exploration—literally the last thing on the planet that we need. So there's a lot of uh, you know two steps forward, two steps back going on in this world too.
0: Oh, that, that I totally appreciate. I was—that wasn't intended to say these are paradigms of you know what whatever yep. company or whatever industry yep.
1: can do. I guess what I, I didn't mean, mean to interrupt. Go on with your point. I meant yeah. to
0: ask with it is. So we did a little analysis in the real estate industry and we're like, okay, the no number of real estate companies are very publicly also committed to decarbonizing or reaching carbon neutrality by a certain date. And like we said, a lot of that is dependent today on carbon offsets. But then when we peeled back how they were getting there, what we didn't see, and I remember this was my impression. I was like, there's no dollar signs in any Mm -hmm. of these announcements. I I'm seeing lots of, you know, lots of ESG wording, lots of sustainability wording, um, but I don't see dollars. And I would ask the question of real estate owners, I'd say, well, how much are you committing to the, the, the tech, right? The actual technology that's required to actually make this technology more accessible, more cost-effective, more efficient for your very assets. And I wouldn't get clear answers. I would get two things, either zero, we don't invest in tech, we don't invest in that tech, or two, they would characterize investment as Deployment of technology, which is a different thing, right? Someone yeah, else investing absolutely. in technology for you to deploy
1: it. Those that does not mean investing. I so mean, let's talk for a minute about let's talk for a minute about the real estate industry and why it should be doing this. Uh, there's no industry in the country that has a much bigger stake in all of this because, by definition, it's an industry whose assets are fixed in place. That's what real yeah. estate means, and they are screwed. Uh, if we don't stop the rapid rise in temperature, I'm sure you saw the story in The Times yesterday about this new study that demonstrates that Florida is already people waited too long. If they haven't sold coastal real estate by now, they're going to take a a literal and a financial bath <laughs> in the process of trying to get rid of it um, um, and you know, I mean, I have no doubt that one of the things that opened up a little bit the scene in New York. Was Hurricane Sandy coming in and flooding the basements of half the buildings in downtown Manhattan? You know, it makes it um, makes it
0: very real and imminent.
1: Well, yeah, and it and 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 you know, for anyone who's you know can think beyond the next you know four quarters, uh, it it should help sharpen your financial concentration on this whole thing too. That's one thing we should say. One of the problems at the moment is that people are starting to make these commitments and sometimes they're just pure greenwashing, sometimes they're real, but almost always they're too far out in the future. And people talk about 2050, which is no longer a useful date to be talking about. Uh, I wish it were, but the climate science is making it very clear that most of the work needs to come in the next decade. Uh, The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in their last report in 2018 said that if we didn't have a fundamental transformation of our energy systems by 2030, which they defined as cutting emissions in half, then we were no way, no chance in hell of meeting the targets we set in Paris just five years ago. So that's the deadline. Uh, That's the, you know, 2030 is the operative year here. And, you know, you know enough about Uh, you know, how capital investments get made to realize that if you don't have a plan in place in the next year or two, 2030 is going to be long gone before you get around to doing what you need to do.
0: And that brings me back to the question, which is, you know, um, we looked at a report, I think it was a Morgan Stanley report that estimated that to decarbonize the global economy, it would take approximately $50 trillion. Um, And then you think about, okay, what's The real estate industry's proportionate share of that. And figure it's about thirty percent of electricity consumption, about a third of uh you know greenhouse gas emissions. So figure it's in the order of fifteen to twenty trillion dollars. Understanding that's a big range, but we're talking about big numbers. Yeah, yeah. And and then when we analyzed how much the real estate industry, the whole industry over the last 10 years had invested into climate tech, you know what the number was? It was ninety-six million
1: dollars (laughs) all right so we're we're a few orders of magnitude off where we're supposed to be yeah so so now
0: i was actually i was really excited to ask you this question because this is kind of asking you my job what i'm trying to figure out which is how how do we get real estate owners to increase that number like a hundred x and i'll tell you the response i normally get and i'm curious how you would answer it the response i normally get is i'm a real estate company I am in the business of selling space. I keep the rain out, I keep the elements out, I keep the bad people out. I, you know, staff it, I light it. That is what I do. I am not in the business of investing in climate tech. That is that is that is outside of my scope of work as a real estate owner. How would you respond to that? Because I have to respond to that a lot.
1: Sure. Well, look, I mean I'm sure you've come up with a good series of responses and I you know, clearly i mean they part of them has to be you know it's not like there's going to be a thriving real estate market on a broken planet so you better help out here and do your part but i truthfully i think what you're finding is the case is true so i think it's going to take uh uh some shoving from well from citizens working through governments to make this happen uh you know first We build activist movements and we go after people. We've done a good job with this fossil fuel divestment movement that's at about $15 trillion now in endowments and portfolios that have divested from big oil and that's putting big pressure on them. We have uh, a, a big, you know, citizens have launched an enormous campaign against the big banks and asset managers. And in the last year, we've begun to see BlackRock and Chase and people feel like they have to move. Well, look, you know, we get Donald Trump out of office, knock on wood, Um, then, you know, big parts of what's coming from the federal government, big parts of the Green New Deal are things that are going to leave landlords no choice and should leave landlords no choice. They don't get to pursue their business, uh, you know, uh, uh, on the backs of the planet. You know, that's not, that's not an externality. That's something that they have to cope with because they've been pouring greenhouse gases into the atmosphere in, in great abundance. And, you know, if you're a building manager, I mean, look, you don't get to you can't. I mean, say you have a building in midtown Manhattan. I mean, the cheapest way to get rid of all the trash at the end of the day would just be to sweep it out into Fifth Avenue and leave it there. Uh, but we don't do that. We don't let people do that because the city would be a mess and there'd be rats and everyone would have leptospirosis and whatever else. Why do we let the building just pour trash into the atmosphere? Why do we let it use the atmosphere as an open sewer in order to increase the profits of, of the landlord? I mean, sooner or later, that's going to come to an end and hopefully sooner.
0: It's, it's, you know, basic economic theory. These are externalities of, you know, the business, any industry, right, has externalities, the kind of tragedy of the commons. And as you're describing it, the atmosphere becomes the commons in in, so that. in this
1: case, yeah, and in this case, I mean, the, 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 the good thing is, as we've pointed out, it would actually be cheaper even for the business to deal with these externalities anyway. You right. know, even if no one was forcing them to, there's money lying on the table that they could make by not I mean, by I mean basically, what we're doing now is heating the outdoors, you know, it's lighting the dark for no reason. It's you know all the other things that we do when we waste energy um and 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 so truthfully the cost shouldn't you, you know the cost won't be prohibitive, but even if the cost were high, you know, time for landlords to pay it uh, because uh, uh, people are not going to tolerate forever uh, people getting rich by breaking the earth. I mean, that's just not going to be, yes, under Donald Trump, that's part of the social compact, but it's not going to last forever.
0: And I like one of the things you said about how do we engage consumers, right? Because the real estate industry is this industry that 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 feels you know outside of some spaces like multifamily and and say hotels it feels a little bit divorced from consumers right like consumers don't relate to the real estate industry in a meaningful way however yeah um,
1: well you know consumers didn't relate to the you know big oil or you know banks or whatever right they can be taught and it's you know people are getting angry and landlords are not some class of people that everybody just naturally loves to begin with. Uh, And what do you know? I mean, it's not that hard to figure out who owns your building. All you have to do is look at the little plate in the elevator when you're on your way down. Um, You know? uh, uh, So I, I, if, if I were the landlord class, I would not take people's ignorance for granted.
0: Yeah. And, and I think it's almost empowering tenants and, consumers to ask the right questions, which is, how, how can we make it so that um, consumers and tenants are not distracted? Because in the real estate industry, there's a billion awards. You talk to every real estate company, they say, I have the highest XYZ standard. And you're like, I don't, I don't know that award, or I don't know that standard. It's, it's kind of almost works through the absence of transparency. Um, and I guess one of the questions that I thought of, this was something that I was brainstorming was, what if every tenant was like, okay, this is great. Um, You know, very excited about all these awards, very excited about all these commitments. How much money, show me the dollar signs that actually went in to new systems, new technologies at this asset, show me that number. Um, And like, that's hard to argue with, that's a costing number, that's unequivocal, that's non-negotiable. And I don't know the right way to do that. Like, actually, I, I, I would love to seek your counsel on like, how do you, how do you make consumers ask something they haven't asked before, or they may not necessarily feel equipped to ask, but is so important to changing the behavior of their landlords?
1: Well, I mean, this, I mean, clearly some of that work begins with big tenants uh, who have enormous market power, um, you know, and especially market power right now in an increasingly soft commercial market in the post-pandemic period, you know, um, who are going to say one of the things that we value in space that we're renting is, is it's, um, uh, impact on the world around it. Our corporation our our restaurant our whatever it is, has a commitment to this stuff that we've enunciated and we can't get rid of it just by saying our landlords and, you know, idiot who won't, uh, you know, doesn't care about the planet. So those are the kind of questions people need to be asking. I have no doubt that you're capable of coming up with a metric for it. Uh, yeah. you know, to figure out how to do it, but it does need to be something that's simple enough that people can can latch onto.
0: At some point I'd love to get your advice on that cuz I've thought of ideas of you know do you take a is it a percent of you know the asset value is it a percent of the income and you say every year I'm going to commit this into solutions that can actually help me as a company and this particular asset reduce its carbon footprint. Because you know if you're just buying offsets with that money, that's not actually solving the core problem. And the one thing I just wanna make sure I I make clear is there are some real estate owners that are truly committed to this. Like that's been in some ways what we've looked to uncover at Fifth Walls. We've said, who are those owners that aren't just talking? Who are the owners that are actually committing dollars?
1: And in every industry, there's a few people doing it. And, and there's a lot of people engaging in one degree of greenwash or another and whatever. I mean, this is one of the reasons why it should not be up in the end to individual business owners to be, I mean, this is why we have governments and regulations and, and, you know, I mean, in order to make sure that these things happen, but yeah, it's good to, it's good to have some places to point to and, and thank heaven that the, Most single most famous building in the country, uh, you know, is now the kind of showpiece example for what you can do. I mean, forty percent is pretty good for you know a couple of years worth of work.
0: Yeah, and and I I hear your point absolutely about regulations. I mean, this is what they're designed to do. But regulations obviously are also then subject to partisanship and
1: yeah, yeah. Everybody pushes back on them. Everybody, you know, that's right.
0: In some ways, what I'm trying to figure out is how how do we, you know, we're in this position, fifth wall, of we have the whole real estate industry has, is, it works with us and has invested in our funds. And how do we use that position? Obviously, we're a private company to encourage those like true leaders, like the true leaders in sustainability in the real estate industry to commit capital to this problem. And I, anyway,
1: I'm, not, I'm, I'm not, not going to be any, I'm no great use to you here, except to say that you know, the movement of people who are alarmed about climate change will do its best to kick people in the nuts who don't do this job correctly. Right. And so, you know, one thing you can do is help people identify not just the good actors, but the bad ones. Yeah. And let them know who needs to be kicked hard.
0: Yeah. Um. Anyway, I, I, I'm not trying to ask you to do my job for me. Yeah, I just, no,
1: I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm incapable of it. I have <laughs> a few things I can do, and that's not one of them. No, but it's just and, I, and, I, want,
0: I wanted to, you know, I think this and is you can And
1: you can tell from me, you know, listening to me, that I'm in that class of people who at this point are extremely cynical about the willingness. Uh, I mean, I, I've spent too many years uh, watching businesses disappoint, undermine, skirt, Greenwash, uh, and so on and so forth. So, uh, they have a lot to prove, you know, and 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 I think that we're going to be in a moment when w- hopefully we can get governments to begin forcing them. That's why what happened in New York was really important. Uh, uh in Los that, Angeles, by the way, as well. Yep, I hear uh, one of the people that I really admire in this work is a guy named Ed Masria, okay, uh, from architecture architecture 2040 or whatever. I mean, they've been working really hard around these uh, building and he's an architect and a genius about how to get this work done. But, you know, hopefully in a, uh, you know, Biden administration, the kind of person who will be empowered to start setting I mean, you know, building codes are set usually locally and at state and things, but there's plenty of ways too for federal governments to play a role here too. If we reach the point where we have that kind of uh, um, majority,
0: yeah. And I would love to chat with him. And you know, I think I guess maybe I'm a bit more optimistic that you know corporations can change. And and I appreciate your point. It's you're kind
1: of... you're 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 younger than I am, so you have a right to your optimism. Uh, you know. <laughs> I guess I take a more
0: trust, but verify. And what I'm trying to figure out is what is that verification process? And how do we how do we celebrate the real estate owners that are truly doing it? Because by the way, they're mm-hmm. really smart. I've met them. They're, they're, they're working do, with
1: us. That's good. You figure that out and you let the rest of us know.
0: <laughs> well, Bill, this has been uh, just so interesting. It's um, been a
1: great pleasure for me. Uh, it's been a great pleasure for me. Please keep the heat on. These guys, um, because this is a third of emissions. Uh, uh, we can't solve this problem with the current, you know, built infrastructure that we have in this country. It has to change, and it has to change. And here's the, I mean, here's the part that makes it hard. It has to change fast. There have to be assets that don't get to live out their full life uh, because they're doing too much damage to the planet. We need quick change and that we can do it without bankrupting people. In fact, in many cases with improving their business is a good thing, but that's not the main thing. The main thing is we are in a crisis like we have never been before on this planet and we need everybody pushing in the right direction.
0: Very inspiring, Bill. And I I hope that we as a, a private sector player can be a part of that change at least for this one industry for real estate so um
1: you take good care and uh greetings from the mountains
0: thank you again and thanks for watching building to zero again we have amazing set of guests like bill um that'll be joining in the coming week so subscribe to our channel and uh thank you everyone for joining bye bye bill take care thanks for listening to this episode of building to zero all of these episodes and more are available on our youtube channel To learn more about Fifth Wall, visit our website at www.fifthwall.com.